I'm David Belson. And I'm Rachel Redan. And this is the Branding London Podcast. The first season is brought to you by Libro Credit Union, a group of epic humans focused on increasing prosperity in southwestern Ontario. They have just launched a new campaign, My Life Here, which fits the theme of this podcast quite nicely. To learn more, go to libro.ca slash mylifehere. Mo Salee is easily one of the most dynamic city councillors London's ever had. He's a, a great community advocate and a great community leader. It was my pleasure to interview him at City Hall. Uh, we were a little rushed as he had to uh, jump into a, a committee meeting, but had a great conversation with Mo and I uh, look forward to sharing it with you. Here's Rachel with the land acknowledgement and then Mo Salee. We would like to acknowledge the history of the traditional territory and honour the long-standing relationships of the three local First Nation groups of this land and place in southwestern Ontario. The Ottawandaran peoples once settled this region alongside the Algonquin and Haudenosaunee peoples and used this land as their traditional hunting grounds. The three long-standing Indigenous groups of this geographic region are the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Lenni-Lenape peoples. I'd like to recognize the three First Nations communities neighboring the city of London, Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, and Muncie Delaware Nation. We continue to honor the legacy of the space we're in by using the Roundhouse to tell stories, increase collaboration, and work with our clients to improve human lives. We believe that telling the stories of our fellow Londoners will help bring us together to solve problems. Um, so the first question, name, position, and function. Mohammed Sali, City Councilor, Ward 3. Awesome. Um, I like to ask this question, you know, what, how would you describe your job to someone who doesn't work in your industry? Um, I would say it's um, intensive customer service. We'll get you close there. Intensive yeah. uh, customer service, because I think you're dealing with sometimes uh, many people in the community who have very serious concerns, uh, and they're very passionate. And so I think it's a matter of uh, addressing many of the concerns that they may raise to you, whether it's as small as something that's a pothole or something as big as the budget or rapid transit. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, maybe describe, uh, you know, every day is different, but maybe a week of a counselor's life. Again, I like to give people a sense for what you're. Uh, for me, I think it uh, entails a whole lot of emails, lots of phone calls. I wake up to usually a full voicemail. Um, you know, I I think when I think about yesterday, there was uh, 400 comments on my one Facebook post. And then, you know, when you got Twitter and everything like that, you add it up in a week, it's easy to have thousands of uh, mentions. And it's very uh, difficult to sift through that, and including uh, being on a number of boards and commissions as well. Um, there's a lot of reading mm -hmm. from all the council agendas and including those. So I spend quite a few hours reading and actually meeting with people because uh, sometimes people want to meet you face to face old school. So actually going to uh, residents' doors and talking to them and uh, and seeing what the concern is that they have firsthand. So it's a lot of meetings, mm -hmm. a lot of reading, and a lot of responding to concerns and just kind of educating people and raising awareness on uh, multiple issues. And you're also, you mentioned some board of, uh, boards and commissions, but the most recently, I think, is it chair of the police services board? So maybe give us a rundown of what that job entails being the chair of an organization like that? Yeah, so relatively new uh, on the police services board and uh, shortly after that became the chair of that board and uh, we're the governance body for the police services. We uh, do the hiring of the police chiefs and uh, the, uh, the police deputies as well. And, uh, you know, we make sure that everything flows properly and there's a governance and we're kind of the oversight 
and we uh, work with the community. And uh, just recently, we struck some new standing committees as well. So there's going to be a lot of different kind of things that maybe you haven't seen us do in the past. And uh, now, as you know, we have our meetings at City Hall as yep. well. Um, and we try to make things a little bit more accessible. So that also keeps me additionally busy um, being the chair. And um, as a chair, I kind of uh, facilitate the meeting and conversations at the board meetings. Great. Um, so my next question is, you know, why do you live in London? How did you land here and why do you stay? Uh, I mean, I love London. I know we came here early on with the family, um, but it's just something about this community that's a little bit different. I, I love the, you know, the passion people have here and the willingness to want to work to solutions. And I think uh, traveling I've, because of my employment working for the government and in other capacities, I've had the opportunity to travel city to city across the country. And really, Londoners are very unique. I know uh, it's it's easy to say, but if you've ever lived somewhere else, knowing Londoners, they're a very uh, a different kind of breed of people. And and I think it's a, it's a positive thing. And I think it's a it's a great perspective that I think they have. And I think London has so much to offer, and I see the potential it has. So I want to be one of those people that are kind of here um, and help it grow and help it build and help it change because there's still a lot of change that needs to happen. And I just want to be part of uh, the Lego pieces. Nice. So what? You know, I've heard a few people say this and everyone sort of has their own different take, but what is it that makes it unique? You know, what makes a Londoner unique? Can you pinpoint something or is it is it too hard to do? I, I, it's, I guess it's a little challenging to pinpoint, but I would say I feel as if we're kind of in between, uh, you know, if you want to call them major cities like Detroit and Toronto and these world players and where that little brother in times or cousin at times that's trying to find our place, but we have so much to offer and we're trying to wrestle through and, and be a part of the conversation. And I think we're doing that. So I, I, I see us as kind of really the city that really can mm-hmm. and the city that really is delivering. When I look at, you know, people in the tech industry uh, delivering, when I see the performance of our airport delivering, mm-hmm. the numbers speak volumes and, you know, some of the jobs and some of the people who come from this city and go on to do amazing things, I think really uh, speaks a lot of volumes about us. And I think that's kind of what makes us unique is because we're the city that sometimes people take uh, for granted. And I think, but we deliver because we keep doing so much for so for the province and for this country. Mm-hmm. And I would agree. Um, again, this is a sort of a loaded question, but I use it as a conversation starter. Um, what do you think that London does better than anywhere else? do a lot of things uh, that are better than other places. Uh, one of the things I think is uh, our honesty. I mm-hmm. think a lot of Londoners are very honest and very direct. And I think that's helpful for me in my role. It lets me know exactly how people feel um, because they'll tell me. For sometimes, better or for worse. <laughs> for better or for worse. And yeah. sometimes it can be difficult conversations and sometimes it can get really heated with some folks. Uh, but I think it's helpful because then you actually know where people are at and where people want um, want to land up. I think, uh, you know, there there's challenges with it, but I think that allows me at least to kind of know where people want to go and then to hear their actual issues and concerns or fears and to address that versus just not knowing. Mm-hmm. I know I talk to some of my colleagues in different communities who are elected officials and they're, they'll kind of be doing things or put motions forward and they're like, well, I didn't hear from anyone. I don't know what people want. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'll, I put yesterday talking about safe consumption yeah. sites, right? And I heard from 400 people yep. in a few hours, right? So 
I know what people are thinking and, and I know then, okay, this is maybe some of the misinformation that's out here, some of the concerns. And I think this helps shift, uh, for me at least, it helps me be a better counselor and helps me uh, drive some of the policies that I bring forward and helps me kind of ask those questions. And I think they make me look a little bit smarter too. Thanks. That's always the advantage. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you sift through 400 <laughs> comments worth of feedback? It's a lot. I try to do it as it goes because mm -hmm. when you just leave it and wait uh, it becomes very difficult to follow um but but you know you, it's almost impossible to get to everything and, and and that's why i always try to remind people send me a direct message that is also a very my direct messages and my instant messengers as well that's yeah. very full as well um but uh, you know i won't always get to everything and sometimes i miss things um but you know, I love social media. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the difference for me that I actually enjoy uh, seeing what people say and have to, you know, and, and reading through all their comments. So I actually find it fun. It, um, I guess I've kind of, because I've done it for so long and I've grown up in, I guess, that age being a millennial, um, I kind of know how to go through it a little bit more faster than maybe someone uh, who doesn't have that exposure. Do you um, deal with, I mean, there's a thing over this weekend, which again, for a podcast that may air several months from now may not be ideal, but um, there's a lot of negativity and things going on um, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, do you find that that is a barrier for you being able to get that or is it just second nature to tune that out or um, if I, it's overtly negative versus constructive criticism? I, I would say it's never something anyone can tune out, right? Because I think that's what all makes us human is, is having feelings and emotions and reacting to things. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's just how I've learned to uh, respond and how I've learned to, to deal things. I think for me, unfortunately, um, I've, I've, I've kind of seen myself as two people. One who is me, the person I've always known and you know my family and very, very close friends know. And then this public figure who sometimes people just mad at and are saying negative things and yelling at and because of what I represent mm -hmm. sometimes and not me personally. And sometimes I try to make that separation, uh, not to excuse people, of course, but I think it helps in me wading through and not having that burden. Mm -hmm. um, I think, of course, though, when people are, are targeting me because what I look like and what I believe and, you know, those pieces, it makes it hard. I have no problems really when people are just saying that policy you put forward is horrible and you don't know what you're talking about. That's fair. Mm -hmm. um, but it does, it, it does after a while because, um, you know, being very active on social media, some days I can get, you know, a dozen, two dozen. Uh, some days it could be, you know, um, uh, quite a few negative emails, hateful, threatening, mm -hmm. uh, very aggressive kind of uh, emails, phone calls, in person even, uh, and Twitter and Facebook. I mean, you, I, it's, it's almost impossible for me to keep track on that because mm -hmm. depending on what I write, um, you know, I've, I've learned that people will will respond and, and sometimes I choose to respond and sometimes I don't uh, depending on what it is and sometimes I do miss it and then sometimes it'll take me a week and I'm like oh I didn't know this person uh, made that very clear threat at that right time. yeah and I know um, you know you uh, you talk to several different counselors or people who've even run for for city council and they deal with that um, do you think that uh, being a member of visible minority or I know uh, some of the female your female colleagues experience it do you think that you're more inclined to get that type of thing or is that just part of the job that you get I think the sad reality is is um, from my experience it appears to be that that you know if you are a woman uh, if you are a member from a racialized community diverse community that you are going to be probably subjected to uh, additional kinds of uh, you know negativity and mm -hmm. harassment it's I don't know why 
Uh, you know, I don't want to try to justify what those people do, but, but it is a reality. And, and unfortunately, you know, and how I know this is because of having conversations with people who don't look like me, yeah. um, who are what people may view as traditionally uh, the look of a politician. And, and they're never really kind of exposed to that. But to me, it's almost, hey, you know, a weekly, monthly occurrence. Mm -hmm. It just happens so often. So I think uh, there definitely is that barrier for those, uh, you know, women and uh, diverse members of the community. Do you think um, that's more, it happens more in our community? Or, yeah, I know it happens obviously in every community, but are we more inclined to be that way in London or less or average? Um, I think it's weird because when I said earlier on how Londoners are very, you know, direct and yeah. say how what's on their mind and feel, um, because like I... I follow what's going on in other communities online. You know, like I follow the Kitchener hashtag sometimes yeah, yeah. in different kind of cities and kind of see what's going on. And I think that sometimes it's a little bit different here in London and sometimes it sometimes is negative. I've heard from people where they just don't even go on Twitter in London at all. Uh, and quite honestly, sometimes for me, um, you know, I don't necessarily dwell very deep into the London hashtag mm -hmm. because I know that sometimes it's, uh, you know, kind of an echo chamber in, in some regards and, yep. and some negativity. That's just the same people uh, sometimes putting out the, the things that aren't the most positive of messages. So, you know, I think he, to answer your question, I, it feels like it. Um, I don't have the data to support it, but it, it does <laughs> feel like it. And when talking to other people from other cities who happen to pay a little bit of attention to us, they're just like, What's going on there in London? Island? Yeah, well, it's fascinating because to me, there's so much positive stuff going on in our city, and yet um, there are little pockets. I don't say little pockets, maybe um, in general, just pockets of, of negativity, and and unfortunately, that's often how we present to the broader community. And I know you've done a lot of work um, on your social media and uh, you know getting gaining some notoriety and. and uh, popularity and some of the other you know, regional networks, um, which I think does amazing things for the brand. So on behalf of London, thanks for that. Um, how important is that to get outside of the, the echo chamber and have, uh, you know, young, passionate leadership show, from London, Ontario show up on the broader stage? I, I think it's critical. I think it's, it's very important. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, I've had friends who considered maybe investing in London or moving to London, you know, guys my age or women my age. Um, and um, they'll do their research mm -hmm. and they'll Google London, London, mm -hmm. Ontario. Sometimes, you know, algorithms or whatever Google decides to do and you'll read articles and you'll see those pieces and they're like, oh, maybe let me go check Twitter now. Let me see what yeah, people yeah. are saying. And they do those checks. And then, um, you know, sometimes people come and visit me here in this town and, and then they have that one experience. Right. Um, and I think... That's why it's imperative, I think, for people like me to kind of show London in a different light. Because when I go to events in Toronto and people find out that I'm a city councilor in Toronto, some of the people from diverse communities, are, they're very surprised. They're like, I had no idea or I, I'm surprised is kind of their reaction. Mm. Um, so I think when they get to see a different face and a different perspective where the, the probabilities and the opportunities for someone who looks like me to succeed and to be able to contribute and to be able to involved in government, um, kind of changes sometimes the perspectives that they have. There are realities, yes, but I think sometimes 
uh, a lot of the people that I know that are from diverse communities really just say, no, just London is just like completely like this mm. versus not recognizing that there are some amazing people who are very inclusive and yep. very welcoming and very supportive. And, and so that's why I feel it's important to try to be an ambassador, to, to try to not hide away from the problems, but say when we do have problems, we're going to tackle it head on and we're going to talk about it. We're not going to shy away because that's what people want to have because any member of a diverse community knows that racism exists every woman knows that misogyny exists it's not as yeah. if they don't um it's just to know that the people who are in leadership and the people who are at the table are willing to do the work to change it then i think changes the conversation for those people whether they decide they want to make this a location they want to move to awesome yeah no i, I agree it's really critical i mean um one of the themes that has come up uh, in a few different interviews uh and across multiple different spectrums um, is this fact that, you know, how do we keep moving forward, you know, as a city, we don't want to say that we don't have problems because that's not the case, but we also don't want to be focusing exclusively on our problems, um, or there's some tension in there around, um, do we fix our problems and then say we're a great city? Can can we fix all of our problems? You know, even some of the problems I would submit are not necessarily even municipal, they're provincial or, or federal or global in nature. So where do we find within that city that tension point that says, hey, this is uh, our responsibility and accountability to solve and uh, where do those barriers lie? So I don't know what I'm trying to ask there, but, you know, it's uh, how do we as, uh, citizens of a, what we think is a great city i think we're in agreement there there's a lot of really positive things about the city uh move it forward so that other people could feel included and uh, and supported within our city um i think uh, try to answer that you know being continue to to be decisive to be honest to have those difficult conversations not really kind of mince words i think people are going to have to check their privilege people are going to have to feel as if their backs are up against wall people are going to have to feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. we're gonna to have to go through all those pains to get to where we need to get um and i think there's no avoiding it if you try to do it halfway or or, or part way you're not going to get to the, the the genuine end result that you want and i think it's a it's a matter of letting the people who you know are feeling the way they are driving that conversation or or you know in the sense not to say that you're not going to do the work if you're someone who's not from a diverse community, but to kind of listen to what has already been said because people have been saying the things for years and no one has just actually been paying attention mm -hmm. or no one has been willing to do something who's been in a position because whether it was because they were afraid to, not understanding, or just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, a you know, but I don't want to say which way it was for other people because realistically, I'm learning every day about mm -hmm. uh, things, right? And, and I think a lot of people just don't know un unless it directly impacts them. So still a lot more work to do. Yeah, no, just um, giving you a, uh, being a city councilor give you some amount of uh, ability to, to have a platform to make that change because you're a little bit more immune than the average person or are you actually more vulnerable um i mean as a politician i i think you know being a politician it's i feel because i come from a diverse community and my faith is different than uh, the the average um i feel an added you know responsibility because i i get people from across the city call me Mm -hmm. say this is my issue you mm -hmm. understand it you, you're from this community or they feel a little bit more comfortable talking to me about about these issues um 
or you know i'm willing to have those conversations and and they come continue to flow in i i love um that people have that you know comfort um, but it, it becomes it's a huge responsibility um, mm. because i don't always know all the answers um you know i mean it's great having young people but i'm still I'm still a young guy and i don't have those you know amount of years of lived experiences that no matter what help you in shaping um you know uh, some of those kind of you know generational kind of things because i have a sometimes a hard time trying to understand why uh, you know a man who's 55 maybe doesn't understand you know some of these concerns why they're issue or why it's a big deal um because maybe they grew up in a different generation mm -hmm. a different time and and they're not understanding those barriers right um but I think being who I am has, has, has been a benefit because I think I'm able to have a conversation um, with people from, I guess, different communities, from people who from racialized communities and not racialized communities. Because I get asked, like, for example, even though like maybe 5% or 1% to 5% of the motions I actually do at city council are related to some sort of race, uh, you know, or, or, or helping communities, adverse communities, or trying to drive change, but the majority are all to do with, um, you know, everyday things that mm -hmm. benefit, I guess, everyone. Of course, the, the, the other motions, of course, benefit everyone as well. But some people will be like, that's all you talk about. Mm. And that is that's, so yeah. far from the truth. Yep. Uh, from the truth. And I think that trying to have those conversations with people to kind of shift that kind of thinking, um, you know, sometimes has, has been helpful, but sometimes challenging to articulate to them that that's not the only things I'm talking about. Um, but at the same time, I've been able to better articulate to people why it's important. Because if London doesn't address these issues, guess what? Let's let's talk about the let's talk about this. For example, Amazon. Mm -hmm. Do you not think the executives at Amazon or the people who currently work at Amazon that might be moving to a different position didn't talk about you know the city, right? You know when they were talking about Toronto, Vancouver, yeah. they knew the diversity. That was a big thing. It was yeah, big. yeah. And if you go and look, and you're you're, you're going to say that fifty thousand employees who, of course, in a tech industry, we know it's a very diverse community. It's not going to be, yeah. And you're going to say to these people, move to London, Ontario. No. It's going to be hard to, yeah. to, to sell. So we are losing out of economic opportunities, period. It, it, whether you want to believe it or not, that's reality. Uh, racism and discrimination is costing London, um, and we need to change that. I think one of the most, uh, you know, you've done a lot, um, really a lot. Um, I think one of the most powerful thing, tools that we have is storytelling and um, I remember the when you were dealing with the carding issue and you got up and, and talked in, in front of the city council and your peers in the gallery about uh, you and your brother facing, you know, getting carded and uh, the, how that made you feel as a human, um, knowing that you're an upstanding you know, member of our community. And f for those of us, you know, I'm, I'm very um, supportive of our police services, I know lots of great people that work there. Um, I hadn't, you know, really internalized i mean i had some other experiences but like what that must feel like to be just walking down the street and being judged by people you're taught that are there to protect you that you're suddenly a bad person and what that does to the the psyche and how bad that is like you know i don't want to use too strong language but um so that story that you told was incredibly compelling and i think for many people in this community sadly maybe the first time that they really thought about what is that issue do to our community and is this something that we want to be supporting for youth um to have them have that experience so kudos to you for stepping up and telling those stories i know they can't Thank be you. easy to to do so uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit uh, you know i did um 
have uh, you know some conversations with some other people from from various different diverse backgrounds, and I think it's a it is the asterisk on you know, London's a great city, uh, but we still have a lot of work to do. So I'm going to talk a little bit about innovation. So where do you see innovation in your in your job as a city councilor? Um, actually, you know what? Before I ask you that, I'm going to time to think about that. Define innovation for me. What does innovation mean to you? I guess if I had to pick one word, I'd say new, different. You know, or I guess. I guess in constantly changing. Um, I guess I said I'd choose one word, but there you go. <laughs> it sounds like you a got a couple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's kind of how I we kind of re- quickly uh, you know define it as, and from my perspective at least, you know that's not what Webster will tell you, but yeah, that's how I see it. That's why it's important to frame you know the individual answer to the question. So where do you see innovation, and in, you know you can take that in your career as a politician, as a city councilor, right through to you know you're one of the directors of the corporation of the city of London, which has to do innovative work as well. So feel free to take that. But you know, in your day job, not we'll talk about what happens inside the city, but where do you actually see it? Where you show up to work? Uh, I mean, I see. So you just want me to answer about what I see in the city, or uh, for well, the second question is where do you see it in the city? But I'm asking the first question in your work as a counselor or as a you know board of director or even in police services. I think you know. I mean, I guess you know. I'll, I guess I'll I'll talk about how sometimes some of the, you know, our policies have been very dinosaur, right? Mm -hmm. And I think shifting and changing some of our policies is, you know, in the community, right? So now that restaurants are allowed to technically have music on patios and yeah. dance without catching a ticket. I mean, that's innovation, you know, that, that would be just uh, everyday life in other communities. But for us, that was innovation. Um, you know, I was happy to be a part of that push. I think, though, uh, seeing us get things like Junos and, and you know, because we have this talent, you know, when I look at tourism in London, we don't have like Niagara Falls, we don't have those natural uh, draws, but we were innovative mm-hmm. in saying, how can we bring people to our city and make it interesting? Rock the Park's doing its thing. Um, you know, all those festivals that we have in our city, um, you know, the arts and the talent here has drawn hundreds of thousands of people in our community and brought, uh, you know, created jobs for our city. Mm-hmm. So I think that has been an innovative way of us finding uh, you know, how do we make ourselves a tourism destination? Mm-hmm. And we've been successful with conventions um, and just kind of, you know, going out there and getting the talent. I think when I, of course, you know, the tech sector here, you know, when I, when I hear companies like Dipley doing just all these amazing things. Um, and then you take for granted that most of them are under 40 years old and it's <laughs> here in London, Ontario, and this is an internationally known company. And, yeah. and the list continues to go on uh, for different companies that are based out of here. You know, I happen to, of course, I got to, you know, give a shout out to Fork River because they're in my ward. <laughs> nice. You know, I think I think they're doing some great stuff, right? Because they'll come to the city and say, "Hey, we need the, you know, we want to have this, uh, you know, be able to serve beer at the place, and yep. you know, get the support and things like that." And I think those are really innovative things, and and it's in in the neighborhood they're doing it. And I think those are kind of those uh, simple everyday things that are just like these everyday innovations. Um, and I think that there's a lot of people who are, you know pushing that and, and bringing that invasion like i think a lot of the young people are forcing it into the city because there was people because it wasn't it wasn't the city of london that said i want uber you right know? it was that need for people wanting something different and them asking and them demanding to bring that innovative way of doing things um and creating change in the industry um and same thing as you know with airbnb and all these things that are happening in our city so I think that there's been there's been a lot. I mean, the list definitely could go on, but 
you wanted me to jump into the second part of the question? Or? Yeah, was, the second part was where else do you see innovation in the city of London? And be- before we get too far in that, is the factory, the Kellogg's factory in your ward? No, do you guys hit uh, the Jesse's ward? Because that's, uh, that's a pretty exciting, and we did a tour of that uh, a while back with Tech Alliance, and uh, that's going to be an exciting well, Tech Alliance jumping is in my ward, so that's another Tech one Alliance, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get them, yeah, but the, uh, anyway, where, where do you see innovation in the city of London? What's got you excited? Uh, you know, we talked uh, Fork River, um, I guess I stole the factory, but you can, you can say that one again if you want, um, but you know, where else are you seeing, Dipley, you know, obviously, where else are you seeing innovation that gets you excited? About I mean, city's future. there's just so many, you know, companies. I, I, when I start seeing, you know, the neighborhood where our attraction is and um, the cube and all those kind of things, mm-hmm. and it's just, and just so awesome. And then you have, uh, um, you know, um, the entrepreneur center that, you know, would be coming up in the area. Back so I think, London, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and then everything that, for example, Western and Fanshawe is doing with some of those new, uh, new funding and securing um, some of those programs, expanding their aviation programs, getting helicopters and doing those things and really making us, uh, uh, you know, international players. So mm-hmm. I've always been national players, but really kind of solidifying ourselves as internationally recognized uh, educational institutions even more. And I think um, that kind of innovation, that kind of research that, that goes on, I can't even keep up because there's just so much that they're doing, whether it's from medical and the health sector, the hospitals. And, and of course, a lot of these things I can't even wrap my head around because it's definitely a little bit uh, higher I, learning than I, for me so <laughs> i'm in tech and i struggle with some of the stuff that the technology groups are coming so yeah you know. exactly so i mean uh, so those are some of them but i mean some of the, the some of the other simple things innovation wise when you think of our city is now you don't you don't have to pay at a specific meter right mm-hmm. you know help to push that change here and you know that's a small thing but oh it makes a big difference a lot of cities don't have that you know yeah. overnight parking kind of things you know small small <laughs> things uh but again innovative for us right and i yeah. think we're doing some really large scale things but also some small pieces that are really uh, creating a different kind of community and you know that thing that i brought way on early on in my turn which culture entertainment districts um mm-hmm. to me i think that's going to be awesome and it's uh because it's driven by the grassroots and a lot of put and years of work by many people to really help shift um, how wh- how London does business. And you've seen the bylaws change like that. And I think we've seen innovation in, in almost many of our boards and commissions. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you look at the police board, you look at the makeup of that police board, where we are the most diverse police board probably in the it's country. Amazing. And we are probably the youngest police board in the country as well. Um, you know, it's majority, um, majority of us are millennials, right? So yep. I think that's awesome. And I think uh, it brings a different perspective. And uh, that's the other thing about London. You have innovative leadership. You have young people politically, uh, in the health sector, in the tech sector. These are the people. Uh, you don't necessarily see that all three of those things in other communities. But here in London, that's that's something we should be proud of. No, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought of that before because there was the Emerging Leaders Program Ten, you know, ten years ago, I don't know if I technically would still qualify <laughs> at my age bracket, but um, there was some programming in place to try to get uh, younger mm-hmm. people involved in leadership, and might be an interesting case study yeah. to go back and look at how Absolutely. effective that was. Um, you know, when you talk about London outside, so you know, you go to an event in Toronto. Uh, what do you say about London? What's your elevator pitch? Oh, elevator pitch. Um, Depends if I'm in Toronto. I, you know, the first thing I could say is, you imagine Toronto, but just more awesome and more affordable. <laughs> and 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 I th- and I really believe that because we have the festivals, we have uh, the diversity. Uh, it's growing. Um, 
and you have the food. A lot. I don't know what it is. Us millennials, they love their food and they want to know how's the food in London. Yeah. Right? And I could tell yeah. them. And and you, 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 if you follow me on social media, you'll see sometimes I'll post it. This is the different place I've eaten. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so I've kind of built some street creds for the for the foodie <laughs> world. Nice. So, uh, so I'm able to vouch, and I think uh, people like that. And I think people, you know, knowing that I could tell them that, hey, you know, just uh, just across my ward, I have. You know the world's first twenty four seven vegan restaurant. Yeah, that's like, pretty amazing. Yeah, you know these millennials are like, no way, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yes way, right? In my neighborhood. So, and and I think that's those are actual draws. And and when I posted, I had friends saying, you, hey, I'm gonna come visit you now, yep. literally for that. And they sure enough did. So I think that's... those small things, as silly as it sounds, really are draws mm-hmm. for people. I don't know if you saw. I did a I don't know, article over the weekend. Um, CBC, but Mike po- Mike Moffat had yeah, posted something about uh, you know the increase in millennials. So you know, did a little bit of a deeper dive, and you know, we're not talking huge numbers, but it's like a three hundred percent increase. But seven hundred or so, and don't quote me on that, whatever the right number is. But uh, you know, a significant jump in the amount of people that are in the millennial age graph. You know, we used to maybe get a hundred from Toronto. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe it is seven hundred across the three age brackets that are defined millennial. Uh, you know, so big jump and people coming back. And uh, I have to wonder if it is that those stories getting out, you know, well, what's going on in this quirky little town? I think, yeah. you know, there's certain cultural stuff going on that's really exciting. So, uh, but I'm supposed to be interviewing you. So, uh, you know, let's jump to the the next question. You know, we, we talked about it, I think, when you're talking about people Googling London. Um, but would you say London has a brand identity problem? Or does it does it have an identity? I guess first and foremost. I mean, I'm sitting looking at the city of London tree behind you, but um, does it have an identity problem? Or uh... I mean, I would say there's not a clear identity, mm-hmm. um, and I think um, you know there there is definitely a need in, on PR front, right? And and it really to some extent has to be organic, and sometimes it has to be us taking a, a concentrated effort. In, in taking you know direct approach to try to really change the conversation on how people see us and, and but we have to be sincere and by being sincere have to actually change a lot of things that we're doing and we've started to do that um so i think sorry oh no no you, you you're talking about i just get excited because i'm a brand per- person so you have a brand and then you have a brand promise and if you say that you're a great city to live in and you're a terrible city then that's actually not you don't have a good brand you yeah. maybe as spend a lot of money on marketing but the actual like the brand promise if you have a good brand promise and the alignment so somebody talks about the city line having great restaurants and then they come and there are great restaurants yeah then you don't have to spend as much money and energy on pr so i'm sorry i just got excited about you (laughs) you were you didn't know you're speaking my language but you're speaking my language so but yeah no i think uh that's just really kind of it is just the brand and there's a lot of work to do because all it takes is one article yeah one incident and it could set us back a lot and 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 i think we all have a responsibility we can't just be like uh you know well it's just was isolated and and that's one time blue thing sure there may be truth to that but guess what it's gonna last people are gonna think about it people are gonna remember that you know when i show up and i'm talking to politician in another city and they're like hey i read this article and this is what happened london is a racist asshole is probably the one that gets referenced the most i'm guessing you know those are the conversations <laughs> people are having right yeah. and, and i can't control what people think and i think it's uh you know that's what they'll remember right so yep. 
it's a lot to combat that because we know with any industry, right? If if a brand, let's call it uh, Pepsi Y, uh, you know, they could be selling Pepsi Y for 20, 30 years, not a problem. Just one day there's a mouse in there or something yep. like that. And that's it. Stocks are dropping and it's it's bad news. Yeah. Well, I think one of the, you know, with branding too, and I've, I can talk to a couple other people, um, if that story wasn't at least partially true, you know, because it got dismissed as well, that's just, you know, university students or whatever. It doesn't get the same resonance if, you know, so there we have to acknowledge that there is, you know, there is systematic racism, there's systematic uh, poverty, there's, um, in order, if we solve those problems, then if somebody writes an article that's fundamentally untrue, then I think it doesn't have the same virility in social media, as you would know. Uh, the truth does tend to spread or, or hints of truth, uh, or if people are feeling particularly vindictive towards a community or a brand, then uh, so I think to the extent that we can a solve the core problems, but b also uh, make sure that we know what our brand story is. It makes it if you see something that doesn't, if you're like, well, no, I heard London's a better place for millennials than it was. That brand story doesn't, mm -hmm. then at least hopefully the human will do a little bit of Googling and say, I mean, in this case, I'm not saying that that article was incorrect because I believe it was fundamentally you know, on point. Um, there's a lot of criticism. I think attorney was her name writing that one, yep. but um, she had a lot of criticism from writing that article, but I think it's a story that needs to be told. Same story. You know, you need to tell the story about being carded for us to understand what it's like to be a youth in a city that, um, to treat you unfairly. So uh, to the extent that we can tell those stories and I think it's us, have the job on the receiving end of those stories to actually listen and think about them and not have that visceral. Well, that's, I've, you know, I'm not racist or my city's not racist or my city doesn't have poverty or I pay people a fair wage. That's not my, like, well, take a step back and think about yeah. whether that's true. So, um, the, the last sort of question there is, uh, do you think it's a brand is a problem that we need to fix for the city? Absolutely. Um, it's probably absolutely it's one of probably our top priorities that i think uh, needs to be addressed because we want people to invest in our city we want companies to open up shop here those are things they're looking at right yep. um and and if you you know people in the tech industry i hear this right they're, they're having a hard time finding people to come to the city to fill positions and stuff yep you know and, and that's a real issue and and you know well why do one of people want to come to london and i get that you know, sometimes first reaction is we already have those people here and, you know, let's look after here first. And guess what? The cities that are happen to be the most diverse in Canada, you know, happen to be the most thriving and most successful cities in the country. You know, Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary. Right. So, yep. I mean, just do the math. Um, it, it just makes sense and it benefits everyone because those people, uh, immigration, uh, you know, diverse communities uh, create economic opportunities and, and they help it benefit our community culturally and, you know, financially. Agreed. Agreed. So I know, you know, you're, uh, we've got time constraints. The last question I actually sort of throw over to you, um, which is, is there anything that I should have asked you about when we talk about the city and what we're doing in uh, the space of innovation or human innovation uh, or if you have any questions for me about anything in life <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i just i guess it, it, you really were yeah, pretty good so you pretty much asked, asked everything um i guess the only thing i could really kind of think and i'm thinking it as i'm talking um because i'm trying to find that gap is when i think of london we talk i know earlier about brand um, and, and I think 
maybe it's our what do you what's the word where people just want us some I, I feel sometimes we anchor ourselves down here mm-hmm. and it's I feel like people don't want us to be treat ourselves as if we're a big city and a, and a major player or because that's what I see us as right and people feel like why do you want to do that that's yeah. what big cities are doing that's what humility or you know, yeah. yeah and I just feel like sometimes that holds us back because no one wants to kind of go out there and start you know swinging for change or start delivering big things or, or having big visions because when you when I feel like when you talk about that um, it, sometimes with some people in London they feel like well that's just arrogance or that's just um you know, far-fetched dreams. But every city was small at one point. Yeah. And and it, and that's what it takes is is those big dreams and those big visions. And and I think that's what I think uh, we need to continue to, to stop telling ourselves we're this town. We're not, period. Mm-hmm. This is just not the reality where we're a city. Uh, and now we need to tell ourselves that we're a major city and a major player. And we need to go and chase that and chase that dream by delivering. And I think, you know, that lends itself. This is my my main concern with starting this project is I think a lot of the difficult decisions we have to make as a city become very hard because we don't have that identity that says, well, that fits the vision of the city or that doesn't fit the vision. Whereas you look at, you know, Waterloo again, you know, I was a big fan of the, the idea of putting in the LRT. Yep. Uh, if you want to attract young millennials, if you want to attract a certain demographic to your city, then LRT is a no brainer. If you want to be a retirement community, then LRTs maybe, I would argue, probably that extreme would also work for LRT. But if you're sort of in this middle where maybe you want people driving cars most of the time, then it's a really, it's a more challenging decision. So I think having a vision for, no, we want to be a millennial-friendly city, we want to be diverse, we want to encourage uh, you know immigration to our city, um, then some of those decisions that you guys have to make as counselors become a little bit easier because there's a vision for the city going forward. So Absolutely. Well, that's uh, really all that I have for you today, and I appreciate the time and taking time out of your schedule. I know you're a busy, busy guy, so thanks, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, sir.
David and I have put our time into recording the Branding London podcast because we love this city and, more importantly, the people in it. Our traction decided to produce this podcast because this work is aligned with our core focus of amplifying great stories to increase relevance, impact, engagement, and momentum. If you'd like to support us, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash brandinglondon. Your generous support will help us to promote this season into more channels so that more people can hear London's good news stories and it'll help us fund future seasons. To find recaps, videos of some interviews, our Patreon link, or more information about us in this podcast, you can visit ourtraction.com slash podcast. Production assistance for this series was provided by Webisodes. Special thanks to Adam Kaplan for his help with recording the live streams and providing the audio from those interviews. We're also grateful for the technical production support of Michael Dales. Thanks for listening. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the Branding London podcast, like our traction on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 